Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. It is the final week of our summer playlist series. If you're new to City of Life, no, we don't do a full performance every service, but this summer we have definitely had some fun looking at some of the biggest songs and drawing some of the notions and ideas from them and then looking to scripture to see where we can learn and grow together. So if you couldn't guess today, uh, it's based on Disney's hit Encanto and the song that ripped through the world and I've heard at this point 1.7 billion times in my house. If you're the parent of a small child, you certainly know that we do talk about Bruno over and over and over again. Uh, but if you haven't seen Encanto, anyone here not seen Encanto? I know. Okay, just a few. I'll do, give just enough backstory so you know where um, I'm going to be coming from. But uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who also created In the Heights and Hamilton, partnered with Disney to create this incredible story. And uh, this song is really fun, and the kids love it. So that's why we wanted to end the summer with this song today. But man, there's a lot going on. We have Soul Fire kicking off tomorrow. Our youth and young adults are going to youth camp. My life was drastically changed at youth camp. I am the result of the moments that I experienced in youth camp, and I can trace it back to very specific times. I feel like I'm living today in the promise. The only reason I'm standing on this stage is because of some of the promises that I received at that time. So I'm believing for that kind of move, and our young people, we're actually going to pray for them in just a second. But be praying all week with us for God to do something fresh as he pours out his goodness on our students. And uh, yeah, today, as I said, we're concluding. I'm Pastor Justin, in case I didn't mention, one of the associate pastors here. And we're concluding the summer series. We've had a fun summer. And today, as we look at Encanto, if you haven't watched it, it's about a family, the Madrigals, who live in Colombia. And each one of these family members has an incredible, special gift. Dolores can hear something that may be miles away. Luisa has incredible strength. Uh, and each of the family members has an amazing gift, and they use these gifts for the benefit of the town. So they're kind of this unlikely group of heroes that the town relies on. And one of the characters, Theo Bruno, has the ability to see the future. And he is uh, someone like a prophet. He, he tells like what's going to happen. And you heard in the song, like he told someone, hey, your fish is going to die tomorrow. And then the fish died. And who gets blamed? Bruno. <laughs> You know, he told someone that their hair was going to fall out and then their hair falls out and who gets blamed? Bruno. <laughs> he told someone that their gut was going to get bigger and who gets blamed? Carbohydrates. <laughs> like, like me. <laughs> so Bruno kind of gets this bad reputation and everything he says is going to happen happens and people get really angry at him. So of all the family members, he's the one who starts to get kind of this like bad rap. And so he ends up running away. He leaves and leaves the family, disappears. No one knows where he's gone. And then just like nothing ever happened. Shh, we just don't talk about Bruno. Like at the dinner table, we just, there's a missing person. There's an empty chair. Shh, we don't talk about him. And the family smiles and plays their role in the village and still maintains kind of their political role and they smile and they lead, but we don't talk about that one situation. Just such an interesting idea because every family has that bonchiche, like the stuff that we, we don't talk about. Don't talk about that. And uh, so this song is the point in the movie where it's just reached a boiling point and one character is like, 
I need to know more about him. And they're all saying, we don't talk about it, but they all have something to say about it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So we drew out this idea. And so today, I want you to turn to Matthew 25 with me. I'm not going to read it quite yet, but we're going to spend the whole day, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. But before we get there, I want to open with prayer. So if you are a student going to Soulfire or a team member helping lead at Soulfire or you're a parent who's sending a student to Soulfire, would you stand? We want as a church to pray for all of you who are going to be a part of Soulfire in one way or another. Man, look at this. I am so expectant for what God is going to do. So expectant for how he's going to move. Would you mind stretching your hand out toward one of these families and praying with us? Father, we pray that Soulfire this week would be a true outpouring according to your word, an outpouring of your spirit, that there would be miracles and destinies imparted, that there would be breakthroughs. I I believe wholeheartedly that what you start this week is going to change the face of our church. It's going to propel us forward. And I even believe prophetically right now that what you set in motion this week, God, will have more power to propel us forward than everything the last two years tried to do in setting us back. What you can do to set us forward will far outshine what the enemies tried to do to set us back. Lord, there is going to be an acceleration. You're going to restore the years that the locusts tried to eat. You're going to accelerate. You're going to make sense of time. You're going to bring to fruition seeds that have been planted. And I thank you, God, for how it's going to play out, not just in these youth, but in our families, in our church, and in our city. Keep them safe. Let them have so much fun. Bless the entire leadership team, we pray. You're anointing on Mia and the rest of the team as they lead for creativity, for discernment, for wisdom and insight and supernatural impartation of energy and anointing. We thank you for it, God. And for this day, let your word come alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We are so excited for you all. We cannot wait to see how God plays out to this week. And I'm excited for today. Excited to get into the word with you. So as I've kind of set up for you, hopefully that gives you enough context to know about the Madrigals and Encanto and the fact that they just don't talk about this topic. They avoid the topic of Bruno because if they talk about Bruno, they have to talk about some uncomfortable stuff that like not everything is going to be so pretty all the time. Not everything's going to be easy. Like, they, their house, Casita, in the movie, their Encanto, the, the place they live is, is, is like this magical house in the center of the town. And, and spoiler alert, he has a vision that something's going to happen. That's all I'll say. I'm not going to go further in case you still haven't seen it. But he has a, a vision that something is going to happen, and it's not like the best possible scenario. And they don't talk about this because it's like, well, we don't want to talk about difficult stuff. We're here to be happy. We want to have a good dinner. We want to smile. We want to enjoy life. And if we talk about the fact that trouble may come, if we talk about the fact that there might be big things ahead of us that challenge us and stretch us, it's going to make things less comfortable here. So shh. We don't talk about Bruno. And in true, like, Pastor Justin fashion, as I was prepping for this, I was like, if the church had something, if the church had Bruno, if we had a Bruno in the Bible, what would it be? Like, what would the topic be that is just like, yeah, like, we know it's there, but just like, shh, like, we don't talk about that. And I think that biblically, if we look theologically, it is the prophetic, like, the end times, like, what's to come, that's one of those topics that it's like, just shh. (laughs) like we're not going to talk about that stuff because it's like complicated and a little confusing and it's like 
I believe it's there, and I know it's there, but man, if we talk about, like, Revelation, then we get to talk about, like, the dragon in there, and then, like, the beasts, and the monsters, and, like, that stuff's weird. Let's just talk about, like, the things I understand. <laughs> Let's talk about, like, love, and peace, and joy, and I'm not diminishing, like, the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit, but... There's a little more to the story. <laughs> and sometimes when we talk about some of this uncomfortable stuff like the end times, I remember when I was little, I would always be like, the end times. It would sound so intimidating. And I, I'm like church kid enough that I grew up where like the most popular books were about the end times. And I remember reading them like, who is the Antichrist? <laughs> like so afraid of like this, this whole event. And I remember I'll never forget someone, they didn't go to church here, but someone came to me and they said, I know who the Antichrist is. And they told me a person's name, like a person. And then anytime I saw that person on TV, I was like, like, what are they going to do? They, they've died since now. <laughs> but like, so I don't think that person was right. But like, I can remember being so afraid. And I've noticed, even in my short lifespan, because I'm not old, but I feel it sometimes, especially like right here. But uh, it, I've noticed in my short lifespan that it has become a topic that's less and less and less discussed. Just Because <laughs> if we talk about it, it's hard to have a nice dinner table conversation. <laughs> it's really complicated to talk about the end because it makes us uncomfortable. It's a little, it's a little unsettling, you know? And like I said, in my short lifespan, especially following Jesus from childhood, I can remember like hearing our founding pastors. I can remember Pastor Janice preaching about like wars and rumors of wars and thinking like that's never going to happen. <laughs> Woo! We're living in it. I can remember talking about like how plagues and sicknesses would rip through the earth thinking that sounds like a movie. Like when would we ever experience plagues and wars? <laughs> And now it's just like a, a Tuesday for us, <laughs> you know? And yet, even though the events of Scripture are happening all around us, I've noticed we don't talk about this part of Scripture as much. Shh. Because if we do, it's harder to just do what we want to do. The Madrigals didn't talk about Bruno so that they could just function in the here and now. And sometimes the church shies away from the most obvious themes in Scripture so that we can just kind of function in what we're doing. And today I want to talk about it. I want to bring to light some really important themes in Scripture. And there are a lot of ways we could have gone today. And I feel like this could have been a 16-week study on the book of Revelation. But I, I feel like in one day, I, I've selected one parable that concisely paints this picture. It's Matthew 25. It's the story of a wedding, and Jesus is using this parable or an, uh, a, a symbolic story of a wedding to speak about something really complex, and so he tells this story to people, and I believe it's going to bring to light something we have to talk about. We got to talk about this today, so stay with me. I hope that this is going to touch, uh, touch your heart and your spirit in a way that opens your eyes to the truth in your life. But Jesus tells this story in Matthew 25. He says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, or ten virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So I already want you to get this in your mind. If you're a married couple, think back to wedding day. For some of us, it's way back to wedding day. But like, think of, I know at my wedding, the schedule is hilarious, because like the guys... Like, we started getting ready, like, 11 minutes before <laughs> the ceremony. And for the girls, it was like, at sunrise, we're beginning with the first bridesmaid. Then we do a rotation. It goes hair, makeup, dread. Like, and it was like this whole thing. 
And this girl, I almost said homegirl, homegirl has 10 bridesmaids. You're getting married. Like, don't do that. Don't do 10. Please just say, I love you, but you just watch. Okay, like, shorten it down. Because 10 is a lot. 10 bridesmaids. And they're all getting ready, and they're doing their hair, and they're doing their makeup, and all this stuff is prepping. And, and in their preparation, we see these 10 girls, and verse 2, Jesus says, five of them were foolish, and five were wise. <laughs> this is a side, like, side thought. Have you ever analyzed your group of friends and just ask yourself, where do I fit <laughs> into this? And if you look around and you realize, oh, I'm the dumb one of our group. <laughs> you guys are so nice to me thank you for that so I think it's hilarious Jesus is like look this is how it is five were wise five were foolish and the foolish ones took their lamps which I'll explain this in a bit and they took no oil with them and the wise ones took flasks of oil with their lamps and the bridegroom was delayed so they all became drowsy and slept so Jesus is speaking to an ancient Middle Eastern audience we have to talk a little bit of history for you to understand what some of this means because wedding culture in America today is just different you know what happens when people are getting married today they go look for a barn in St. Cloud that has a cool tree and they want to go take pictures under it and that's what I don't even understand back in my day when we used to get married we get married right here like this this is where I got married I stood here my wife stood there and now people are like let's find a warehouse Let's find a barn. Let's find, like, it's, it's, Pinterest changed everything. I'm so glad my wife did not have Pinterest. She just had a binder. Y'all remember the binders? It was like, click, and she would like, that's, that's, I'm happy with that. But now wedding culture has changed immensely. But in Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern culture, weddings were a three-stage event. Stage one, the engagement now, I think you all probably have modern pictures of what the engagement looks like. Oh, the camera crew, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I went fast. You did a good job, though. So we think of this as engagement. In ancient culture, that was not the case. Do you know who was involved in the engagement? Two people. The fathers. <laughs> not even the bride or the groom. It had nothing to do with them. Can you imagine? It was just the two dads. Hello. Hello. All right. Yep. <laughs> they just shook hands, agreed, made a decision, and then all of this was set in, mo- in motion. The engagement involved the father. Then we have the betrothal, stage two, where the bride and groom were together, and it was this beautiful ceremony, kind of this outpouring of love where promises were made, where the groom would say, I've got a house for us. I'm going to prepare it just like you like. And the bride would say, I'm going to be with you forever. And they would come to an agreement on how things would look. Beautiful, romantic, like love story kind of event. And then you know what happened? You know what the groom did after this beautiful moment? I'll be back. Then he just left. (laughs) You know what he left to do? Go prepare the house and the life that they had agreed upon. And it wasn't like pre-said. It wasn't the kind of thing like you get what you get. No, he would, he would listen and her, her requests, he would say, okay, I understand you and I love you and I know what I've promised you. I'm going to go get that ready. And then he would go and get that ready and go back to the place and prepare. You know what the bride would do? She would wait and wait and wait. And you know what her bridesmaids would do? And then the next girl. 
she'd wait. And then this girl in the end, there's always one like, the shoe's too tight. <laughs> These girls are just standing there waiting. And the bride would wait and wait and wait for the groom's return. This is so foreign to us with wedding culture. And you have to understand this part of things to understand why Jesus is telling the story. And you know what the groom would do with all his dudes? Because he would take the, the, the dudes with him. They, they would go back to his place, his house, and they would purposefully take the longest route possible. <laughs> they would go every side street winding back and forth. They would take Lakeshore, not 192, every time. You know Lakeshore is bad because if you get stuck behind that sandhill crane, woo, you're late for work. That's it. And you know they're endangered species, too, because you've all thought it. That's why they're endangered, because we've all thought it. That's why we need a savior, because all of us think the same thing in those situations. But anyway, so they're taking the long way, winding through every street, going around the outside of the village, and then back through. Why would the groom take the long way? It's because him and his dudes, they're walking and clapping and singing and they are creating a parade, a celebration, because if people hear this parade, you know what happens? They're allowed to join. They're allowed to say, oh, there's a wedding. There's a wedding. Come on, let's go. And they can fall in line, and they can be a part of it, and they can go through all these streets and all the way, and they can follow the groom all the way back to the celebration. And if you get in the parade, you also get in the feast at the end. And so the groom and his dudes would go the longest way possible to gather as many people as possible because if he went the direct route, half the village might miss out on what he was doing. So the longer the groom took, the more he fulfilled his purpose. I'm not even preaching yet. I'm just talking about history. The longer the groom took, the more he fulfilled his purpose. But the longer the groom took, the more tired the bride became. And I want you to just place yourself in her shoes for a second. Not her shoes, because those hurt. But her shoes. Why is he taking so long? Is he really coming? What if he doesn't love me the way he said he loved me? What if there's something wrong with me? What if I'm wasting my time? I'm only this cute for so long. What if I should do something else? What if it's not that good over there? What if I should go back to my ex? What if I should do something different? What if my father's arrangement wasn't that good? What if I'm going to be losing out here? What if I could do something else? And the longer and longer, the more questions, the more weirdy she becomes, the more uncertain, the more she feels the pain of waiting and standing and waiting. But if the groom just took the fastest route there and back, the bride has it easy, but the celebration is small. The longer the groom takes the bigger the celebration is. So there's your history lesson. <laughs> now let's talk about what's actually going on. So these bridesmaids have lamps, and that word is really not the best word in translation. It's probably more like torch. So I want you to picture like these warrior bridesmaids. 
<laughs> like holding a torch out and trying not to burn their lashes and, you know, like the hair they clipped in that morning. So, <laughs> like they're holding their torches and it's like sunset. So we're chilling. It's fine. But then the sun goes down. Okay. All right. You got to put a little more oil, get this thing burning brighter. It's eight o'clock, nine o'clock. And the, nothing has happened yet. They're just standing there waiting. And the reason that these lamps are pretty key to the story is because culturally, women had to carry lamps at night. Now, like, if, if like, a man had to do something, of course he would use a lamp to see, but it wasn't, like, culturally required. He could just walk from one place to the other in the dark. But a woman had to light a lamp and carry it. And you know where she shined the light of that lamp? She didn't go like this. She shined it right up next to her face. And ladies... Culture has changed, obviously, but I do want you to appreciate the the substance of this. The reason women would walk around shining a light right next to their face is so that there'd be no question about what they were doing out at night. Because if a lady was walking around at night in the dark, people would say, hey, people would have all their gossip to say. And so what they would do, women to be accountable would say, hey, you, you can see exactly who I am, exactly what I'm doing, I'm accountable, you can know my values, like look at me, I'm shining a light right on my face. <laughs> they would shine the light so there would be no question and the reason that this bride and these bridesmaids had these lights is they were making a statement, we're waiting for the groom, we are exactly where we're supposed to be, doing exactly what we're supposed to do and nobody's gonna question that because y'all can see it plain as day. Like even though it's dark, we're not giving up our, our stance here why they held their torches. Verse six. Oh, sorry, verse five, or four and five, is that like they started to get tired and the foolish ones did not have oil with them. What you gonna do with no oil? <laughs> this isn't like you can just like turn the thing on and off. You need oil to keep the fire burning. And the foolish ones did not bring oil. The wise ones, it said they have flasks. These ladies knew what's up. They had right here, attached to their thigh, they were like, "Uh uh-uh, pour some more oil on it. These ladies were prepared for the long haul. And they were like, even if he don't come back till midnight, we're ready. I'm ready to burn and burn and burn because I understand that this is worth it. And so what happens is they all start to fall asleep. Notice that, they all fall asleep. Because it's not the good bridesmaids and the bad ones. They're just foolish and wise ones. They all had good intention. I mean, they were all there at the wedding. It's not like this homegirl over here, homegirl. <laughs> it's not like she was planning on being the one who kind of falls out of the event. She, wasn't, she, she planned to be there. This is her best friend up here. Like, she, she's, she's planning on celebrating. She's planning on being in the celebration. She's planning on being in the banquet. She's planning on making it till the end. But, but then, huh, woo. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Don't worry. Mm, these shoes hurt. Mm. Oh, no, I got, my, I got my torch. We're good. We're good. Yo, just wake me up when he comes. Wake me up. Wake me up when it's time. And then her hand gets heavy. And her torch gets heavy. And she becomes drowsy. And they all do one by one. And they get more and more tired. They all fall asleep. And I think this fact points out that no one is immune to the circumstances of life. I've talked enough about weddings. I've talked enough about Middle Eastern culture. Let's talk about you and me. No one is immune 
to how weary it can feel to wait and stand. And when the night gets dark, it's so easy to get tired in the dark. It's so easy to get tired when circumstances become heavy. The last couple years have felt like dark in culture. It's like things are just ripping apart and circumstances are heavy and weighty. And it's like, I just want to go to one birthday party. Here it comes. Oh, it's canceled because we're all sick. (laughs) You know, it's just like, again, it feels like the last two weeks I've been saying again, (laughs) a lot, (laughs) again. Here it is again. Here I have to face this addiction again. Here I have to face this battle again. Night feels dark. And no one is immune to that weariness. No one is immune to what it feels like to wait. Verse 6, but at midnight, there was a cry. Hey, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. In the middle of the darkest moment, that's when the cry of the groom is heard. In the middle of the darkest moment. And throughout scripture, we hear this idea like the day of the Lord is coming. It's like a thief in the night when you least expect it. And even this idea of the day of the Lord, there's a lot of speculation and discussion about what that means. Some people it's like the return of Jesus to gather his saints. For other people the day of the Lord represents like his judgment being seen in the earth. For other people it's like justice being outworked and the wicked being punished for their actions and the righteous being vindicated. Like there's so many ways you could take this but for the believer it doesn't matter what explanation it is the day of the Lord is something to yearn for. The day of the Lord is going to be a day of goodness for us. The day of the Lord is going to be a day of fulfillment for us. But it comes when we least expect it. It comes in the middle of the most difficult, darkest moments. It comes when they're most drowsy and most asleep. And then the cry, hey, he's here. Come out to meet him. Then everybody wakes up. And this idea, this tension of like the coming of the Lord is something that the early church lived with. Because Think of being like the apostles. You know, we've got like Peter and James and John. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to heal this person. Boom, he heals them. He says, hey, this is going to happen. And then boom, it happens. And he says, hey, I'm going to die and then rise again. And he does it. And it's like, wow, everything Jesus says, it comes true. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And then I'm coming back like a king. And then he ascends. They're like, he's going. He's going. Guys, look, Jesus is ascending. Okay, he's gone. He's coming back. He said he would come back. Give him like five minutes. I think they lived with that kind of expectation. Because everything else he said came true. It's almost funny for us to look back at them and say that, but can you bring yourself to that moment? You just watched this man with holes in his hands and feet ascend in front of you. I would think he's coming right back. It's going to be up, down kind of a situation. So they wait with this confident expectation. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to come back and he's going to save us and he's going to make right everything that's wrong in this world. They probably have the neck pain from staying like this their whole life, waiting, looking, waiting. And it's like, son, I know, I know you're hungry, baby. I know. Just Jesus is coming back right now. So let's just wait a few more minutes, okay? Let's just wait okay I know I know let's get you some food okay but let's just keep our eyes up up there okay here's your snack I know you're tired okay take a nap right I'm tired too actually but I'm just gonna sleep looking this way because I know he's coming he's coming and then that night must have been weird right I I don't think I could have slept that night because like what if I miss it (laughs) 
Like, okay, maybe it's now. No, it's not now. Okay, maybe it's, it's at sunrise. Of course it's at sunrise. It'll be in the morning. And I bet maybe like a few of them went back out to that same hill. I would have done it. He's coming back. Man, he didn't come today either. It's been, tw- it's been 12 hours, Jesus. What are you doing up there? Okay, no, tomorrow, tomorrow. Ah, Sunday. He'll come back on Sunday. Maybe that hill had a little more people on Sunday. Nothing. But the early church lived with this posture. Everything the early church did was with bated breath. That any moment, any day, he will come back through that cloud. But if the early church lived on pins and needles like this, where did it shift that now the church today lives like this? We don't even look anymore. Because we don't, shh, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that waiting. We don't talk about that expectation. Let's just talk about how we can live a good life here and now. Because I have control over that. You know what I don't have control over? That. And it's been years and years and years and yet the church is still waiting this is still our posture and just like that bride waiting and all her bridesmaids waiting we find ourselves in this posture of expectation waiting and just when we least expect it when it seems like the darkest moment has come then in this parable the voice cries out hey he's here and i wonder how the early church felt like anytime they heard for example a, a trumpet Anytime someone just like blew a horn, they'd be like, that's it, that's it, he's here, he's here, for sure. Anytime there was a storm and lightning flashed, they'd be like, huh? But now, you and I today, we are so numb, so drowsy, that it's not just trumpets and lightning we hear. We, we are living in plagues and wars and rumors of wars, and we see the government ripping apart. We see people, and just like the scripture literally says, good being called evil and evil being called good, we see every red flag, every warning sign, and we're not even looking. Because we're so used to not looking. <laughs> because this is vulnerable. And if I live like this, it has to change the way that I behave. If I talk about his return, then it changes the way I behave. So that cry comes out, he's here. Then all the bridesmaids wake up and they start trimming their lamps because a torch has to be tended to. And they start trimming them and the foolish ones say, we don't have oil. We don't have oil. Please, to the wise ones, give us some oil for, your, for, for our lamps because ours are going out. And people can't see us anymore. Like, we, we are, we're living in darkness and in shame. We're, we're not accountable. We're not visible. We're not transparent. We're not, we're not standing in our values. And the groom is coming. In fact, the way that I am postured right now brings shame to the bride and shame to the groom. Like, I need oil. And the, you know what the wise ones say? I, I can't give you my oil. There's not going to be enough for me. you got to go get your own oil. And church, when we live with the confident expectation of Christ's return, it places responsibility on how we live our day to day. Because I don't know when that moment comes, but when it does, you are not going to be able to use anyone else's oil. Not Pastor Gary's oil, not Pastor Janice's oil, not Pastor Jeff or Pastor Amy or Pastor Justin or anyone else. Do you know why? Because I need my own oil. I got enough going on 
on. I am working hard to try to posture myself. I'm not trying to show off. I'm just trying to stay ignited. And I need to work this oil into my own life. You have to do it for yourself. You have to be ready. You have to have your oil prepared. And it is foolish not to. It's foolish not to. See, here's the thing. When it all started, every bridesmaid seemed ready. They all had the right intention. But when midnight comes, when crisis comes, intention will get you nowhere. When the darkest night comes, your good intention will do nothing for you. It is your action, your preparation, what you have built up in your reservoir, what you got in that flask right here. And you got the wrong thing in your flask if you think it's going to carry you through. You need the oil that ignites the fire of God's goodness. It is the Holy Spirit that keeps the fire of God's purpose ignited in our life. That's the oil. The Holy Spirit is the oil. Because even though the groom left and said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he said, I'm going to send you someone who will wait with you and help you wait and that is the Holy Spirit he's that oil that allows us to keep this fire burning the oil that heals us and covers us and burns bright in our lives and has to be regularly stoked in our lives sometimes we're just so modern we think we can walk into a room and just Alexa lights on and boom everything turns on do you know how hard it is to tend to a fire to, to cultivate it. Oh, it's windy. Let me protect it. Okay. Now let me add a little more oil. That's what these women were meant to do all night long. And that's what you and I are meant to do as long as we have to wait for that return is tend to that fire and cultivate it and, and get away from people who might snuff it out and get around people who help us build it into flame and do things in private that build the fire rather than bring it downward because it's what you do in private that determines how you're seen in public. We have to tend to the flame in our own life, and it is oil that we need that has to be regularly replenished. Yes, be ready like the early church, because it could be right now. I always imagined preaching and saying something like that, and it being right then. How cool would that be? It could be right now. Like, that would be amazing. But something the Holy Spirit put on my heart today is be ready, because it could be way longer than you think. Do we ever acknowledge that? There's actually something easier about thinking, just one more minute and he'll be here. But what about a decade of obedience? What about a decade? What about two decades? What about a generation? Are you going to be able to be here for the long haul? Because these girls over here, they were here for a good time, not a long time. And maybe it got all the way down to the maid of honor. And she's like, I'm with you, baby. I'm with you. I'm waiting. And maybe even she fell. But I know that bride said, I will not give up. I will not get tired. I will not stop. Because where else could I go? What else could I do? The father has already arranged this. The groom has promised it. I am not going to stop now. I'm too committed. I'm too in. I, I, I put it all to the center of the table. We have to live with that conviction in our lives. Because you don't get to determine when the tough moment comes or when the trial comes or when the voice cries out. And I'm not just talking about like when Jesus comes. I talk about, I'm talking about being tested too. You don't get to pick when that happens. We didn't get to pick March 2020. You know what I saw real quickly in March 2020? We all saw how much oil we all had. 
This is the last service, so I ain't got to come back. You know what I see when I look around this room? Oil and the lack of oil. Does that make some bridesmaids better than other? No. They were all good. They all had the invitation. They all had the good intention. I'm just talking about stamina. I'm talking about endurance. I'm talking about that reservoir that's tied there privately for no one else to see. But when it gets tough, I tap into that oil that nobody else knows about. Because in my room by myself, I've been on my knees seeking the presence of God and stoking that flame into a brighter fire. And when difficulty comes, that's where it matters. The New Testament is replete with warnings. Don't fall away. Don't fall away. You better persevere to the end. You better persevere to the end. And I think the reason why is because everybody had faith, but few had endurance. I know in my own story, people I walked alongside that believe bigger than me in a lot of ways. More faith than me, but perseverance is what splits the road for many people. Can I make it through years? Can I make it through betrayal? Can I make it through a loved one passing? Can I make it through a youth pastor dying? Can I make it through crisis? Can I make it through loss? Can I make it through grief? Can I keep waiting when the leaders I looked at bring shame upon themselves? Can I make it through culture ripping itself apart? Can I make it through confusion? Can I keep waiting? I know people in this room have been put through the test. Can you keep that fire burning? Because you don't get to pick when it happens. Fathers, you don't get to decide what day your son comes to you and says, Dad, can I talk to you about something? I have something I've been hiding and I, I, I need your advice. You don't get to pick when that day is. But if you've been hiding your own thing, what makes you think you're going to have the torch ready for that moment? You have to have the fire ready the whole time so when that, that moment comes, you're able to impart something to your child. Parents, do you really think you get to know when they say, Mommy and Daddy, I need your, I need your help. For no, you have to just be ready for whenever that day comes. You don't get to pick it. If you're called and you feel like God has called you to something, you don't get to decide, well, now my opportunity is coming. You just have to be ready and ready and ready. And you have that sermon written, even if it stays on your iPhone for 10 years, I'm ready to go, God. I'm ready to go. Whenever the door is open, I'm going. Ready when it's time. Expect it. I know you have faith, but do you have patience? Because that's what makes the difference. And so the wise ones say, go get your own oil. And, and they're, they're like, okay, let's go. But it's midnight. There's no Walmart. So they're like, I need oil. Anybody have oil? And by the time they're out there doing that, the groom arrives. He starts the celebration, closes the door. And in verse 11, the other bridesmaids, the foolish one, came also saying, hey, please, we got oil. Please open to us. And in verse 12, he says, 
I don't know you. Because if you were supposed to be in here, you would have been in here. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. At the end of this chapter, Jesus does away with parables and he just starts speaking plainly because it's like we don't understand the parable. And then he's like, all right, let me give it to you straight. At the end of time, I'm gonna judge people like sheep and goats. I'm gonna separate them left and right. And the ones that are mine, I'm taking with me. And the ones that are not mine, they will be rejected. People are like, what does that mean, Jesus? How, how much more plainly can he say it? He's like, you've got to persevere, wait to the end. And, and he, he says to those that are not belonging to him because they're like, wait a minute. Like, we want to be with you, Lord, Lord. We, we, we know you. We've believed in you. And he says, no, you never fed me. You never put clothes on me. You never gave me water to drink. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? You, you never asked us for clothes. You never asked us for water. And he says, when you care for the least of these around you, when you live the Christian life I've called you to live, when you do the very thing I asked you to do, when you do that, you're doing it unto me. And so what he's telling these people is, I've seen you. You've never once personally absorbed the life that I have commanded you to live. You might have gone to church. You might have been around people who were doing it, but you've never done it for yourself. I don't even know you. I don't even know you. And the reason that this message is so urgent and uncomfortable is that it puts responsibility on you, not your pastor, not your parents, not your friends. It puts responsibility on you to stoke into flame that fire in your own life because no one else will be there but you when it is time to determine if you are in or out. And the reason that this is so heavy on my soul, the reason that tears come to my eyes is when I think of that moment when they say, let us in that celebration. It's already too late. The party has started. The reason I cry about this is because I really like to party and I want you to be there too. And I want to be there too. And so you know what I'm doing actively in my life right now? Taking everything I can to stoke this, this flame daily. And I used to spend so much, so much of my energy trying to look good. I've been in this church my whole life you can trace back the seasons of pastor justin where it was all about the appearance and the performance but at this point in my life i don't care what you see i care what god sees and i'm trying to stoke into flame the oil of god's holy spirit we have to burn actively and visibly and publicly and consequentially and in a way that changes our behavior. We have to go out and live the life God's called us to live, to love others and give to others in a way that is inconvenient and noticeable and consequential. Why? Because it might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but there is a torch that has to be held up to our face so that he can see I'm still the bride you know me to be. I haven't changed, I haven't gone sideways, I'm not shady, the light is shining, and I'm living the way you told me to. So let me ask you a question. What is the last thing you did to tend to your torch? Personally, what's the last thing you did? When's the last time you thought about that return? Because if the answer is not today, yesterday, then it's not soon enough. What have you been doing actively? I'm a pastor, I love church, like clearly, but there's so much more than this. If this is it, you're coming and looking at a fire, but you're not participating in the fire. That's like saying, oh, I'm gonna watch a show about fire and I'm probably gonna get burned. No, you're spectating. 
What are you doing to get in the fire? And you know what I think today needs to be? Instead of going and having your cute brunch and taking your cute picture, go home and tell your family, hey, I love y'all, I need 30 minutes. And when that bedroom door shuts and you hear worship music and you hear my voice, don't come knocking because me and my savior, we're working on something and I'm trying to bring into fruition a fire that has gotten cold. And you lock that door and you get on your knees and you begin to pour out praise and you stir that fire into a flame. And you do that tomorrow and the next day. And the next day because I don't know when he's going to come but do you know what the last part of Revelation says it says the spirit and the bride say come quickly Maranatha Jesus come quickly because I'm waiting and it's hard to wait and my back hurts and I'm getting tired but I'm not going to stop come quickly come quickly that's what it is to stir this into flame and church what could happen if every person at City of Life cared less about how things look in here and more about what's happening in the privacy of your own spiritual walk what would happen in our church what would happen in our worship services if every everyone came in torch ablazing if everyone walked in burning with fire because so often people come to church expecting to have a parade of a pastor lighting your torch again here let me light your torch God bless you let me light your torch God bless you let me light your torch I'm not here to light your torch you are responsible Jesus has already done it tend to it burn it into flame it's your responsibility we are waiting for one who is coming maybe today maybe tomorrow but I'm not gonna stop burning so bring it into flame bring it into flame stand with us I believe there's something important here it's urgent it's critical because when that moment comes you can't say oh I was waiting for Blink to get it together. God, honestly, I was waiting for Soul Fire to be done. I was waiting for summer to be over. I was waiting for COVID to be gone. I was waiting for this to happen or that to happen. No, this is your chance. Maybe God chose some loud half Dominican preacher to wind through the side streets of this city and to come by your house today and stomp and spit and clap so that you could hear the news that there's a place for you in this celebration but you gotta get in line, baby. You gotta come out of where you are and get in line with where he is because you're never gonna get there without following. It's personal, it's personal. It has to change the way you live, change the way you behave. It's gotta change the way you and your family talk at dinner. No more of this, how are you? Good, how are you? No, no, that's got to end. It's gotta be, son, tell me what you're praying for. Let me tell you guys what I'm believing for this family. Can I, and you're like, I don't know how to talk like that. You better start. You better learn, you better figure it out. Because if we're not believers at home, we're not believers anywhere. If it's not real at home, it's not real anywhere. It's gotta be burning in our lives because it brings accountability. Does your kid know who you pretend to be in this room? Has your kid seen this person? Hallelujah, Maranatha. Have they ever seen you do that in real life? Because when they walked in today and you were looking at them and they were looking at you, did they believe you? Have they seen that mommy, that daddy? They better. It's got to be real. It's got to be real. So let me leave you with this. Tend to your flame. Tend to that torch. Let it burn. I see people who have followed Jesus longer than I've been alive, and I say it to you with the same urgency. Tend to it. Tend to it. Because as a church, this posture is the only one that makes sense. 
It's the only one, Maranatha, 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 come quickly, please. And if you don't know Jesus, get in line. There's a parade that's going somewhere. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. If you don't know Jesus and you want to get in that line today, you say, I wanna know him, whether you're online or in the room, this is your opportunity. Don't miss your chance. If you wanna ask for forgiveness and be saved, slip your hand up in the air if you're in the room. Yes, yes. And if you're watching online, type, I need Jesus. Thank you, thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, couples, families, individuals. Yes, young people. Yes, online, we see you. Repeat this prayer with me, everyone in the room. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I wanna live for you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first, and Jesus always. Give me strength to keep this fire burning. As long as it takes, I will wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.